Please take your Bibles and open to Exodus chapter 20. You know, I, I look out here this morning, I know a lot of people aren't here because they have the flu, or they've got bronchitis, or they've got a stomach bug. I'm well aware of all the folks that are sick, and I hope that they're listening on the radio this morning. I've been doing lots of hospital visits and, and home visits lately because of people that are injured and sick and having surgery, recovering surgery. And that's one of the things a pastor does. We spend a lot of time in medical facilities. You know, maybe it's sitting with some parents while their child is undergoing a procedure in the office. Maybe it's praying with someone before they go to surgery or it's visiting someone who's just in the hospital because they're, they're sick or they're recovering from an illness or an injury. My favorite is getting to go to the maternity ward and get to visit new parents and hold those new babies. And I've learned a lot over the years about doctors and hospitals, and I've learned a lot about medical terms and procedures. Not, not enough to don a white coat and a stethoscope now, Bob. I'm not going to go in there and start prescribing stuff to folks. But, but I've certainly received an education. And one thing I've especially picked up on is how non-judgmental medical professionals are. You know, those of you that have been in the hospital, you're not really showing people your best side, are you? And it could be a little embarrassing, you know. I mean, I mean, it's, there are lots of things that happen when you're in a hospital, and you have to kind of take your dignity and put it aside. But thankfully, those doctors and those nurses and those medical professionals, they're not there to judge you. They're there to diagnose you and to prescribe something for you. They're there to help you get better. And I think that God is a lot like that. He knows us more than we can imagine. He sees us and He knows us at our worst. I mean, God is fully aware of our shortcomings and our sins and our problems and our pain, and yet He loves us still. Amen? So when we come to something like the Ten Commandments, don't think of these as, as you know, some sort of instrument by which God is there to judge you. Instead, think of the Ten Commandments as a diagnostic tool. It's, it's to be an evaluation of our spiritual health. And, and also think of them not only as a diagnostic tool, but they are also the prescription. Now, when you go to the doctor and the doctor prescribes a course of treatment, it may be a remedy. And that remedy could be medicine, it could be therapy, but you know, the doctor may give you a remedy to get you better. It might be that the doctor gives you some preventative measures, you know, change your diet and you know, exercise and get more rest and do these things to keep yourself from needing the remedy, from, from getting sick or needing surgery. And, and sometimes it might be something radical like a surgical procedure. And again, I think the same is true of the Ten Commandments. They are God's prescription for building stronger, healthier lives and families, helping us to be spiritually and relationally healthy. And some of the Ten Commandments are remedies. Others are things that we can do to prevent, to prevent ourselves from backsliding into sin and drifting from God. And other of these Ten Commandments, for some of us, may be more like a radical surgery. It all depends on our individual needs and where we are in our relationship with God. And my hope and prayer for this series of messages is that they can help us to diagnose where we're struggling where we're weak individually and, and, and with our families, and I hope that they will give us the, the tools we need to help us build healthier and stronger lives and families. You know, the people of Israel were like one big family. We, we call them the children of Israel. And, and they needed all the help they could get 
in building themselves into a stronger, healthier nation. Because they've been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. Think about it. That's twice as old as our country. That is how long the Israelites were in Egypt. And through the events of the Exodus, through just a few days, God was able to get Israel out of Egypt. That was the easy part. The hard part was going to be getting Egypt out of Israel. I mean, think about it. They had been immersed in this culture for longer than any of them could even comprehend. The religion, the many gods that the Egyptians worshipped, their moral values, their worldview had become so ingrained in the hearts and the minds of God's people, it would take radical surgical precision to cut out and remove that spiritual cancer. And that's why God gave them the law of Moses, the Torah, beginning with the Ten Commandments. God knew that if these people were to truly be His chosen people and a nation of priests to represent Him to the rest of the world, they would need a radical heart change. And so God gave these commandments. And He gives them to you and me. Not to hurt us, but to help us. Not to restrict us, but to free us. Not to punish us, but to protect us. Sure, there are a lot of thou shalt nots in these commandments, as we'll see. But, you know, when I tell Abby not to run with scissors, is that because I just want to ruin her fun? No. I tell her don't run with scissors because I know it could hurt her. And I want to keep her safe. So every time God says a don't in the Bible, He always has our good in mind. It's to protect us. It's to protect our families, always. And to ignore these commands is to, is to do so at our own peril. So the first commandment, it's where we're going to be at this morning. Really, it's the foundation upon which we can build those healthier, stronger families and lives. Read with me there. In Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, God spoke all these words. God spoke these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. The first commandment is really a warning as much as it is a command. It's a warning against allowing other things to crowd God out of His rightful place as Lord of our lives. I mean, Israel, as I said, was coming out of a pagan culture. And they were about to enter into a pagan culture. They were about to go into the land of Canaan to possess it. And God knew how easily they could be seduced by those pagan idols and their promises of immediate gratification. And God knew that to wander from Him, the God who had set them free from slavery, to wander from Him... And to go to false gods would be to willingly submit themselves to slavery once again. Now, how crazy would it be for someone who had just been set free from captivity to run right into another cell? To turn around and go right back to another prison, right back to another captor? That'd be insane. Yet we know from the Bible that's exactly what Israel did time and again as they turned from the living God to worship false gods. Now, what's the principle for us today? Well, I think it's simple. We need to keep first things first and make room for God in our lives and our families. That's the main point of this commandment. 
Now, you may say, well, why does God deserve first place in my life? Well, I'm going to give you just two reasons. I can give you, we could preach a whole series just on this, but I'm going to give you two reasons. One, God made you. God deserves first place in your life because He's your Creator. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and what? All who live in it. That's you and me and everybody else that's on the face of the earth. We belong to the Lord. He made us. Secondly, not only did God make you, but God bought you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, you're not only His creation made in His image, you're His child. Adopted into His family because of what Jesus Christ did for us on Calvary's cross. God has bought you. He has adopted you as His child at the highest price that anyone has ever paid. God's own Son, Jesus Christ, shed His blood, gave His life, took your sin upon Himself so that we could be free from sin to live abundant and eternal lives with God. He made you. He bought you. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And if we look back at these first two verses in Exodus 20, it reminds us that He is the God who sets us free from slavery. That's what it means to be redeemed. It means to be bought out of slavery so we can live in true spiritual freedom. That's why in my life, And in my family, God deserves and demands to be number one. First place. The top priority. He will not settle for being your co-pilot. He deserves the captain's chair. He will not play second fiddle to anyone. That's what the command means. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, what is a god? I mean... I don't know about you, but I don't really have any little statues anywhere that I'm tempted to bow down and worship, right? If you do, please come and see me. We need to talk. What is a God? A God is anything that dominates your affections, that demands your allegiance, and that determines your self-worth or controls your life. That is a God, little g. And we'll talk about this more next week, but your career can be a God. Another person in your life can be a God. Your success and accomplishments can be a God. Money can be a God. Hobbies can become gods. Popularity can be a God. Getting more likes on Facebook can be a God. Even the good things that God has created for us to enjoy become gods when we give them priority in our lives over our Creator and Redeemer. And I'm sad to say it, but I believe the reason our country is in the state it's in today, with families crumbling, with crime and gangs and drug abuse on the rise, people confused about the most basic truths of reality, biblical values increasingly ridiculed and mocked, the reason that we're in this state today isn't because lost people are lost. They've always been lost. It's because Christians are putting other gods before the Lord. That's the reason. We're hiding our light underneath baskets. We're honoring God with our lips while our hearts are far from Him. I believe the hope for this nation and for our world is found in God's people actually being and living like God's people. 
It's moms and dads teaching and living before their children this commandment. It begins with us. Men and women, boys and girls, people of God, it begins with us. Keeping first things first. Making room for God. Not just squeezing Him in when we can. When it's convenient. Instead, we need to be cutting things out of our lives to intentionally make room for our Creator and our Savior. And I want to share with you this morning just a few simple, practical ways we can do that. How can we make room for God in our lives, in our families? Because it's not just enough to say that God is number one. We need to take action to make God number one. In the Old Testament, when the prophets would stir the people up to revival, they would actually go out and tear down the pagan idols and altars and they would destroy them. And they would go into the temple and they would renew the temple and they would begin again to celebrate the feasts and the sacrifices and Passover. What do we need to tear down and destroy in our lives and in our homes? What do we need to rebuild? What do we need to renew and begin doing again because we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and we want to worship Him in spirit and in truth? How can we make room for God in our lives and our families? Two simple ways. There's so many more I could share, but for time this morning, two simple ways. One, with our time. We can keep first things first and make room for God with our time. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. How do I make room for God with my time? Well, I ask Him to help me use my time more wisely to make the most of every opportunity in this evil age so that I can understand and live by God's will for me and my family. That's what that verse is saying. What if you started every day, every morning before your feet hit the ground, what if you started with an attitude that said, God, here's my schedule for today. God, here's my to-do list. Which of these things do you want me to do? Because I have 20 things to do today, and I know that I only have time for five. So which of those five did you want me to do? What if that's how we approached our days? See, I believe, and I struggle with this, because I'm constantly finding myself having more to do in the day than I have time to do it. But I believe that God gives us enough time every day to accomplish His will for that day. Think about that. God made you. God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and God gives you everything you need to accomplish it. That's what we talked about last week. One of the things God is going to give you to accomplish His will for your life is time. Think about it. If you have more things to do than you have time to do it, then there must be some things on your agenda that aren't a part of God's plan for your day that day, right? The struggle for us Because some of those are really good things. The struggle for us is to determine which of those things are the best things. Because God's not going to ask you to do more than you have time to do. So when you're feeling frustrated and stressed, ask yourself, am I trying to do some things today that's not a part of God's plan for me? Now there are some things I can tell you definitely that God wants you to do regularly. There are things God wants us to do daily. There are things God wants us to do weekly. There are things that God wants us to do at other times throughout the year, but they are just as important 
God wants us to live in the unforced rhythms of grace. And I want to share with you two of the most basic parts of that rhythm, two of the most basic beats in the rhythm of life God has for us. One is a daily rhythm. A daily rhythm. Make a daily appointment to spend time with God. You know, if you can't carve out enough time to spend in in, in quiet time alone with God, if you can't carve out that room for Him, how in the world are you going to carve out room to make Him number one in your life? You can't even just spend some time with Him every day. And it doesn't matter when you do it. I know some people are just adamant about that, but it really doesn't matter when you do it. Just do it. Maybe for you, you get up 15 minutes early, you drive to work, you pick up some coffee on the way, and you sit in your car or your truck, and you drink that coffee, and you pray, and you read your Bible for 15 minutes before you go into the office. Maybe that's how you do it. Maybe at lunchtime, you take your lunch, and you go and you sit, and you read your Bible, and you pray while you're eating your sandwich. Pray about the things that are important to you. Talk about the rest of your day with the Lord. Or maybe for you it's at night after the kids have finally gone to bed and you can sit in your lazy boy and you can get out your Bible and you can talk to God about your day that day and confess your sins and give Him thanks for the blessings and prepare your heart and mind for tomorrow. It doesn't matter when you do it, but you need a daily time to check in with God and say, God, let's review my life, my schedule, my priorities, what's really important to you because I know I don't have time for everything that I need to do. What do you expect me to do? In Mark chapter 1, we read this interesting story about Jesus. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. The Gospels tell us that was Jesus' habit. He did that regularly. If Jesus felt the need for regular daily prayer, (laughs) shouldn't you and I feel that need? I mean, no one has ever had more to do for God. No one has ever had more to accomplish with greater eternal consequences than Jesus Christ. And if He could find the time to be quiet with God and pray, certainly you and I can find that time. Because I don't care how important your job or how much responsibility is on you. It's nothing compared to what was on Jesus' shoulders. Amen? Let's be like Jesus. Not like the Jews that are described in Jeremiah 2.32 where God said, My people have forgotten me for days on end. Have you forgotten God and failed to spend time with Him for days on end? And let me encourage you as well to to schedule time for your family to spend with God together. Maybe it's at mealtime. And just at mealtime, you make that that, that family rule, that unwritten rule that Ben was talking about where you're going to pray as a family. Maybe it's it's at, at night as you put your children to bed or as you and your spouse get ready to go to bed. Maybe it's in the morning when you get up. But we need to be leading our family and spending time reading God's Word and praying every day. It doesn't have to be a full blown Bible study. It doesn't have to be an hour-long worship service with music and passing the plate. But just spend some time intentionally together in God's Word. You know, before you go on a family trip, pray in the car before you leave and ask God to give you safety. When your child brings home that report card with good grades or they hit that home run, pray together and give God the glory for what He helped them to do. Because when you do that sort of thing, not only are you making room for God in your life, but you're demonstrating for your children that God is important and He deserves first place in their lives. 
That's the daily rhythm. There's also a weekly rhythm. And we're going to spend more time on this in a few weeks because there's a whole command about this. But God intends for His people to reserve a day every week to rest and be refreshed and refocus our hearts on Him. For the Jewish people, it was the seventh day, the Sabbath day, the day upon which God rested after creation. But for Christians, it's Sunday. Not the seventh day of the week, but the first day of the week. Because that's the day upon which Jesus Christ conquered hell, death, and the grave and rose to live forever. And just as we can't say God is first in our lives, if we can't even spend, carve out time to spend with Him every day in prayer and read what He has to say to us from His Word, how can we say God is first if we can't make it a priority to spend time with Him weekly, worshiping Him with His family? Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir because it's a cold, rainy day and y'all are here. But we need to be reminded of this because any one of us can be guilty of that. Well, I guess I can't because you guys would all be calling me. David, where are you this morning? But for the rest of us, any of us can, can fall out of habit. And it is a habit of joining together with God's people in worship. Moms and dads, when church takes a back seat to everything else, whether that's Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night, when it happens only when it's convenient, only when you feel like it, what is that communicating to your children about the importance of God. What does that say to your children about the importance of His church, the bride of Christ, the community of God's people for which Jesus died, when church just becomes, if we have time, we'll get around to it. We need to make God first in our lives with our time. Secondly, with our treasures. We need to make God first in our lives with our treasures. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then He will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. God says, Give me the first part back and I will bless the rest. See, God knows that of all the false gods in the world, money is the most seductive. Money is the most controlling. Nothing else can enslave the human heart like greed. That's why Jesus said that we cannot serve both God and money. Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. And why? Because no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You see, how we spend our time... And how we spend our money are the best tests of what our true priorities are. Maybe you've heard the statement, show me your calendar and your checkbook and I'll show you what's really important in your life. Anybody ever heard that before? Read that somewhere? Billy Graham put it this way. Every person's checkbook is a theological document. It tells you who and what they worship. Think about this. If a stranger were to go through your checkbook or your bank statement, what would it tell them about you and your family? About what really matters to you? Because the way you spend your time and the way you spend your money says what's first in your family and in your life. And that's just a simple truth. One important way we can make sure that we're keeping first things first in our finances is the tithe. And the tithe is the most basic 
Okay, I think as Christians, we're called to go above and beyond the tithe. Did Jesus just give us 10% on the cross? No, He gave His all. And we are called to sacrificially give for the cause of Christ. But let's just start with the tithe. It's the most basic. In Deuteronomy 14.23, it says, Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship. And then it tells us why. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. God says, the first 10% of all He gives me, I'm to give back to Him. That's the tithe. Its purpose is simple, to teach us to make room for God in our lives and our families, to fear the Lord our God. That's what that means. Now, hopefully, and if you've been watching the news and the stock market and maybe even your paycheck in the coming weeks, hopefully our economy is on the upswing, right? Into some stability, into some growth. But we never know what tomorrow holds, do we? I mean, we, we can't, you know, we can't hang our hat on that. And maybe right now you're doing well financially. Or maybe you're still struggling to make ends meet. Maybe you've got some crushing debt and you feel helpless and hopeless to ever get out from under it. The best advice I can give you in either making a financial turnaround or to guarantee that your current financial uh, success can bear long-lasting fruit, the best advice I can give you is this. Put God first in your finances. Put God first. If you, wanna, if you want God to bless it, you've got to make room for God in it. If you want God to help you make the most of your time, make time for God. If you want God to help you get out of debt, invest wisely and provide for your family, give to God first. Because if you're not making room to spend time with God every day, God really isn't first in your life. And if you aren't tithing, I have to ask, is God really first in your life? God wants you to spend time with Him every day. God wants you to set aside a day for Him every week, the first day. And God wants you to give Him the first 10% of your increase. And doing these things will help ensure that you are keeping God first in your life. It will remind you that God is number one. And it will communicate to your family and to all of those around you who are watching you that you really do worship and serve the Lord your God and you have no other gods before Him. Now, these are just a few simple, practical ways that, that we and our families can begin to really make room for God in our very busy lives. And God promises that if we make room for Him, if we keep Him first in our lives, then He will bless us in real and powerful ways. In fact, I want to share with you quickly two promises that God gives. First, He promises us His presence. Look with me back one chapter in Exodus 19, 3 through 6. They're at Mount Sinai. This is before God gives these Ten Commandments. It says, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you're to say to the house of Jacob, what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you were to speak to Israel. When This is the greatest promise, really. 
that when we keep God first in our lives, we make room for Him, then we belong to God. And He belongs to us. And we can live forever with Him in a relationship of love and grace and mercy. You know, it's sort of similar to marriage. When Julie and I stood before the congregation and we made our vows to one another, we made a promise to each other, and I promised that she would be my exclusive wife, that I would love her exclusively as my wife. In a way, I was saying, there are no other wives before me. And there aren't. It's, it's good to know, isn't it? Yeah. When you make your marriage vows, that's what you're promising. You're forsaking all others, Right? And that's both a promise I keep, but it's a promise I enjoy as well. And the same is with our relationship with God. When we make room for Him and keep God first, forsaking all others, that's a promise we make to God. But oh, the benefits that we receive from Him. The peace, the comfort, the strength of knowing that God is present in our lives. The forgiveness and the grace and the fresh start every morning. The answered prayers, the community of faith, the purpose in life. He satisfies our deepest longings. And that brings us to the second promise. He promises us His presence, but He also promises us His provision. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. In other words, make room for God, and all these things will be given to you as well. Instead of worrying about getting all the things done, and paying all the bills and keeping your wife or your husband and your children happy and making sure your kids do well in school and grow up to be productive, responsible people. Simply keep God first in your family. Keep God first in your marriage. Keep God first in your time. Keep God first in your finances. And trust that He will add all these other blessings to you as well. That's what the Lord promises. Really, this first commandment is the commandment. It's the commandment. It's the point of the whole thing. The other nine commandments we're going to look at really just help us to keep this one, don't they? They all are there to help us keep this commandment. Because if we worship and serve God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, guess what? We will grow healthier and stronger. And so will our families, and so will our churches, and so will our communities. If we just keep this. The other nine commandments just kind of help us unpack this one and help us know how to do it. And before we go this morning, before we have our invitation, I want to share with you another resource. I hope that these sermons in the coming weeks will be a resource. And I hope you invite somebody to come back next week. Now, there are people that aren't here because they're sick. They're at home right now, hopefully listening on the radio. If you are, God bless you, praying that you feel better. But perhaps you know people that aren't here this morning because... They're just not making room in their life for it. They've allowed some other things to crowd God out of that number one place in their life. And they may say that God's still number one, but boy, they've got some other things that are almost right up there with Him. Invite somebody to come back with you next week to hear these messages. We, we all know people whose families, none of our families are perfect. None of our families are perfect. We all need help in this. So let's, and that's whether you're a family of one single person or you're a family of a mom and dad and 20 kids. We all need these messages. So please invite somebody to come with you. But another resource I'm excited to share with you about, and that's what's in your, uh, in your order of worship. Please take this out. The Faith at Home Resource Center. This is something I became aware of in 
doing some of my doctoral work and visiting lots of other churches. I kept seeing this at all these churches and and was very intrigued. So Ben, I, I kind of turned him loose on doing some research and checking it out. And, and he and Christy have worked real hard on putting together this resource center in the atrium. And it is there for you. It is there for our community. We introduced it last Sunday to the preschool families during their lunch. And we told them, it's for y'all. We want to resource and help families build faith at home. So Ben, come up for just a minute and give us a quick preview of this and of the resource center. All right, thank you all. As David said, the premise behind Faith at Home is building that foundation, that spiritual formation and nurturing a lifelong commitment of faith. And it starts in the household. Um, so what you have right here is uh, serves two purposes. It's an assessment, 120 days looking back at where you've been from, from here. So today, 120 days back, looking back. And then at the end, it's a 120-day plan of making uh, spiritual goals for the future. So the first step, when you open this up, um, you'll see marriage and uh, things for parents, single adults, grandparents. There's different things that you can fill out, just depending on your situation, your your family unit. So it kind of covers everybody. And this is the assessment part in here. So you're looking back and the 120 days and filling that out. Uh, the next the next part, and this is set up just like our order of worship. There's a tear-off right here. Uh, this tear-off on the inside has life stages and special situations, family seasons. And I'll share a little bit more about that. But these, you just check off the ones that interest you that you could look for more information. And you can find that information on the pointers uh, that we have at our Faith at Home Center in the atrium and also on our website. Um, there's some already listed and there will be more listed. Um, most of these are at the Faith at Home Center. If there's ever something that's not on there, please go up to the main office and let us know and we can get that information to you. Um, flip that over. Flip that over, that tear off. This is when you get to... Um, uh, to the 120 day plan. And there's a few things on here, just a few ideas that they give. And, and what you do when you get this life stages information, special situations information, they will also have other ideas that you can fill in those blanks right there. They'll, they'll give you some other plans to, to put in place. Uh, but this gives you a starting point for your marriage, for kids. Uh, you see one for teens, for grandkids. Again, uh, fill out the ones that, that fit your family situation as it currently is. And, and this you keep with you. Um, so on one side where you've checked all those things, that's when you take it to the, uh, the center, the uh, Faith at Home Center in the atrium to find those resources. On the other side, you can um, keep these in mind for the next 120 days as you, as you make this plan. And I encourage you to do it as a family. Pray together over it. Keep this in your Bible. Keep it on your refrigerator. Somewhere where you can keep in mind the commitment you've made for 120 days uh, to grow spiritually as a family. All right, flip it on the back. Um, on the back, just another reminder that fbcthompson.org, there's a Faith at Home uh, icon right there. You click that, and it will take you. Uh, this assessment is on there. Um, uh, these uh, pointers, and that's the next thing it says, Faith at Home pointers. Uh, we have our own design of our pointers that has our logo and everything. Uh, these are the free insights. And on the back, there's also recommendations for resources. So if you're, um, you know, if you're looking at marriage or parenting or grandparenting, uh, 
there's little pointers about what you can do actively right now and then recommended resources. A lot of these are free or very inexpensive uh, to purchase books. Um, and then the Faith at Home Ideas. These are recipe cards. That's what they call them, recipe cards. Um, these have ideas that you can implement tonight. If you pick them up at our center and take them home, you can use them tonight. Uh, there's date night discussions, family night activities. You see it right there, mealtime conversations. When we get to holidays, there's going to be some that are um, Valentine's Day. I'm going to put one out for Valentine's Day. There's already a date night one out there. So for Valentine's Day coming up, that's an idea. Um, these are on rotation. So these recipe cards will be rotating routinely. Um, so some of them will be up now and, and pick them up while they're there. And, and uh, we're going to put out new resources every month. We're going to have something new on this board. And then at the very end, I've just listed two books that have kind of got me started. It starts at home, has a lot of these ideas uh, where this faith at home came from, from the from the church that started this. And then uh, family worship is a great, great resource. So please see me right after this. I'm going to be in the atrium at our Faith at Home uh, Center. It is right next to the main stairway. If you haven't seen it yet, I'm going upstairs on the main stairway. It's a great resource. I've looked over all the material. Uh, it is fantastic. And, and it's there to help you. We want to help you. Like a doctor wants to help you physically. We're not there to judge. And nobody's going to judge you because you pick up one of these. We don't know if you're picking it up for yourself or to share with somebody you know. And, and, and please take these. Share them with people. Use these as an opportunity to engage in those gospel conversations we've all committed. You know, most of us have committed that we will have a gospel conversation once a month this year. This is a great way to help. Pick up a resource. Give it to someone you know that is struggling with, with infertility or looking to adopt or, or somebody who's a couple that's looking at getting married. There are great resources out there for those kinds of issues. And you can pick it up and just say, hey, I, just, I saw this and thought of you. I hope this is helpful. Take these and use these. Share them with other people. They can be remedies. They can be preventative measures. We're here to help strengthen you as husbands and wives, as parents and grandparents. And Jesus Christ came not only to put broken families together, but to put broken lives together. We all struggle with sin. We all have things in our lives that, that if we're not careful, just beat us down and leave us defeated. Jesus died on the cross so that we didn't have to live defeated lives. Amen? And if this morning you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've not given Him free reign and rule in your heart and life to experience His grace and mercy, I'll be standing down front as we sing to help you experience that today. Maybe for you, God is calling you to unite with this church. Maybe you just need to come as a family or come as spouses or as a single person and just pray at this altar and just say, God, forgive me because I have not been making room for you in my life. You're not number one in my life. I have put you in the co-pilot's chair. And I want to put you in the captain's seat of my heart. Maybe you need to come and rededicate your life to Jesus this morning to truly make Him your number one. Just stand and sing and respond as God leads.